digital maturity cannot be achieved without that grounding in business maturity. I think we can all agree to that. But the one thing that's been missing both in the commercial and the cultural sector, what I think is missing from the you know the way we we teach our our kids what we learn at the university level what we learn as a entry level associate in any organization across any sector is that we don't necessarily have the emotional skills to navigate communication and collaboration both in the physical workplace and the digital workplace so one of the things that i do with my teams is the elephant dead fish and vomit ritual which sounds a little off and and usually especially when I'm going into to UK organizations they're like oh what is this fluffy american doing um but it, it these are trigger words these are are words that either we can use to self identify what is about to come out of our mouths or where we can uh use to to help better understand or signal the behavior of others. So today's episode is with Dr. Lauren L. Vargas, digital dragon wrangler. More on that later. L's a really interesting person. We first came into conversation and and business together when she had a senior digital role at Fidelity investments in the US. She's also been doing a doctorate which she's completed at the University of Leicester involved with digital museums and we talk about that a little bit. The conversation really is about the importance of emotional intelligence and emotional maturity and its role and alignment with business maturity if you're going to have digital maturity. So if you want to be a digitally advanced organization, it's no good just having business strategy, business maturity. You really need to dig into what we could loosely call the emotional side of work. And in a year like 2020, though there's not really been a year like 2020, when we're all experiencing a lot more kind of emotion in work than I think we've ever experienced. Loss, excitement, change, transformation, uncertainty. I mean, the whole range, empathy, listening, humanity, etc., etc. And I think it's really brought to the fore the importance of having an emotional connection in work. And we also talk about Lego and serious play Lego and Elle's model around that. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I'm delighted to be joined by my guest today. That's Dr. Lauren L. Vargas. Uh, L is a digital dragon wrangler. More on that later. With 20 years experience assisting organizations with their community and communication strategies. Elle is an independent researcher and consultant of, of your digital tattoo, as well as a one by one research associate with the University of Leicester in the UK, delivering a practical approach to building digital literacies within specific museum context. Yeah, that's right. Museum context for UK and US museums. And it's an interesting time, interesting year to be involved with digital strategies for museums. I mean, that's amazing. So, uh, Elle, 
has your work been taken over since you found yourself sort of in the centre of the digital museum world? Has this been like all of your Christmases come at once? Possibly my Christmases, but not everybody else's. Um, it's it's definitely it's definitely challenged the sector to have a digital first approach, which has always been a desire. Um, but now that's the only option with so many doors closed. So it's reimagining how they are communicating and collaborating with the communities that they're serving in new and in new and innovative ways. And so it's incredibly challenging, um, but also quite invigorating. Mm. So what have you had to or what have museums had to do? And we'll get into our topic for today uh, shortly. But but what, what have museums had to do? to adapt and how how have you been um, doing what you can to support them? Well, first, remote work um, for museum employees was fairly non-existent uh, before COVID. And so the infrastructure was not necessarily in place uh, for for people to be able to communicate and collaborate from their homes. So working with museums to ensure that they've got the right infrastructure, but they also need to adapt new practices and processes to be you know, to have that type of dialogue and communication. It also meant that we had to find out different ways to redeploy or upskill those people that were that were in charge of front of house or visitor facing activities and bring them into the back of house uh, activities and and how that communication and collaboration, you know, is taking place. So it's been it's been a journey. Um and and they've had to ramp up they've had to accelerate this type of of communication in a very short amount of time while at the same time scenario planning what it's going to mean when they reopen their doors and and how or if the digital workplace will continue to survive and thrive in in a more hybrid mm, environment mm. and I, and and i suppose i'm kind of imagining you've been trying to provide some um kind of stress relief for them almost to because you know the, the the you know you're because you've got a lot more immersion in this area that as you say is really not kind of culturally normal for museums has has that been a sort of reassuring reassuring voice i hope so we we at the One by One Project uh, through the University of Leicester have really tried to use the last three or four months to not just work directly with our research partners between the U.S. and the U.K., but also to open up our community to have free resources, free events, where we are more of a digital guide into the unknown, um, helping them brave the wilderness in, in this new digital workplace, this new way of working. And it, you know, I, I was, I always had the intention when I moved from the commercial sector into the cultural sector that there was there was so much that I could bring from my former experience into into the cultural sector. I didn't realize how quickly um, that experience would would really come into play, where it would be truly relevant for the success and the impact of museums, not just to ensure 
constant communication with the communities that they serve, but also for the very survival, the the reimagining, the reframing of their business models is now taking place. And it's because there's that digital first strategy. Yeah, yeah, that's... um it, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And um, uh, are there any particular examples or experiences that have struck, struck stayed with you um, uh, from, the, from your experience in the last three or four months? Fifteen months prior to COVID, I was embedded in the Museum of London as part of a former phase of the One by One project. And while I was embedded there, it was all about as I just said, you know, re or introducing the digital workplace and figuring out different ways to work out loud and connect physical employees. And I got the most amazing note from one of the employees about three or four weeks into the COVID situation when the, the physical museum doors had closed. And they said, had you not taught us how to work out loud, how to use technologies that allow for this communication and collaboration, we would have not been as successful as we have been in keeping our communities up to date and trying to stay relevant in the midst of the chaos. Mm. Yeah, and that, and that's something that certainly I've heard so much during covid was that for the organizations that put in the the work into digital transformation digital um services ahead of covid it's it's really uh been so uh, valuable and obviously there's now a kind of i would say a kind of ramp up particularly amongst um smaller organizations to 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 improve that and it's it's kind of must be really good to hear something like that from the Museum of London. It is. But at the same time, I, I would just say that, you know, for, for all of those organizations, those cultural organizations that didn't have that chance to ramp up, the emotional toll of trying to to reconcile a new way of working with trying to, to plan um, reopening their doors in this shifting normal um, has been incredibly challenging. And so just trying to keep that in mind as we talk about what comes next and, and just be, you know, just being cognizant that we're, we're working with other humans that have so many different personal and professional uh, needs that are clashing right now. So it's just trying to find empathy to, to deal with, with the changing situation. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is so, um, interesting when you kind of think about it because obviously everybody's struggling with i'd say the physicality of work the digital experience of work um you know people going back in some countries to offices that are now open only to find that there's not many people there and therefore the experience is significantly different or that people are prepared want you know fine going back to the office but they don't want to go from there where they live to the office um and it's it's i'd imagine in the museum sector where the physical experience of being there is such a uh, part of the dna of of the experience and then how to to kind of navigate that i remember um 
seeing uh, examples um, over the last sort of 10 years where there's been digitization of different parts of, you know, particularly, um, uh, I think you'll, you'll remember the name of that incredible place in Iraq that got destroyed by ISIS. And then there was a digitization of of the area. And it felt to me like something was something beautiful was being reclaimed out of the physical destruction it's almost like you can destroy the physicality of it or damage the physicality of it but you can't destroy it it's going to kind of live on in a digital world and and uh, i suppose that's trying to kind of broaden the kind of idea of what a museum is indeed i mean we're we're facing you know a bit of a existential crisis of, you know, what is a museum? And I think that these conversations have been coming for a long time. Um, But now that we've had so many different factors, you know, come at the cultural sector over the last four months, I think we're now taking that question and said answers or discussion very seriously. Mm, Yeah. And, And by the way, to people listening, this is not a podcast about museums and the digital side of museums. It's just a conversation because I'm so interested in what your that aspect of your work, Elle. I just wanted to kind of touch on that. But what what is the thread that's been running through your career? Because you weren't always involved in museums, and we'll get into the the whole uh, Lego care calm part in, in a moment. So I started my career as a public relations and marketing communications practitioner, uh, working primarily in regulated industry. And what I found is that I was I was a comms person who loved numbers and who loved communities and trying to analyze different trends and patterns to best serve communities. And in 2004, 2005, I really started to experiment with with how to use digital as a means to connect with internal and external communities, to be that digital bridge between the organization and the communities it serves. And I found the the more I, I worked with communities, I found that they were a means to enable digital revolutions, digital transformations. And, and more of my work was less on community management and more on how do we enable the right the right technology the right processes and the right the right structure to allow a very connected and collaborative work environment one that breeds multiple perspectives and thinks not just inside out but outside in and so now i've after 18 years spent in the commercial and private sector i've now pivoted my focus uh, to the cultural sector. So it's not that I'm doing anything different per se. I mean, I now have more of an academic lens uh, to what I do. I still consult. But thinking about communities as a means to understand digital transformation, to understand digital activity within the cultural sector is now my primary focus, um, both research and consulting. That's great. And um, the thing that sort of sparked my my interest and why I wanted you to come on the podcast, apart from um, my own personal experience of of having every time I've met you, I've just had a fascinating conversation and 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 struggled to kind of 
you know kind of categorize you um you're somebody who seems to kind of defy that and i like that um um doesn't stop me still trying to do that but but um (laughs) but the 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 article that you wrote on medium was called take care c-a-r-e capital letters to be calm capital letters c-a-l-m emotional intelligence is key to achieving digital maturity um and 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 this was a a really interesting um i suppose uh formula ei emotional intelligence plus bi business intelligence equals digital maturity and you got to this using something called lego serious play which i've heard of but I don't really know what that is. So tell me how Lego Serious Play got you to develop this this formula. Well, for the past several years, I've tried different ways to get people to um, find different means to communicate with one another. Um, and when we are trying to design a community, when we're trying to design a digital workplace, it can tend to go down you know, the process route or the technology route, and there's no, there's no bridge between the two. And to get people to, to free themselves from the boundaries, from the shackles of process and, and technology, I like to use Lego Serious Play as a way to, to develop a shared language, to develop um, an interpretation of what we want to achieve. So it's basically using Legos in a facilitated way um, to be able to communicate with one another what are our individual aspirations, goals, and then how can we how can we build a shared landscape or a shared model of our approach so you can use lego serious play to tackle so many different issues but i've i've used it in the past for to unlock digital transformation and communication and collaboration challenges and i've been using it specifically within museums and especially during covid uh, in a virtual way, um, to be able to unlock what are those, what is the emotional cost of, of trying to take a digital first approach in a sector, in an organization that doesn't necessarily have that embedded in its DNA? And, and how do we get people comfortable with these approaches without introducing the tech first? And so, when I made the transition from the commercial or private sector to the cultural sector as an academic, as a postdoc researcher with the one-by-one uh, program with the University of Leicester, and I was embedded in two different museums, I kept being asked, well, what makes museums different? Like, how are they different? Like, come up with something that's unique for how museums are facing this challenge. And I really struggled with that because at at its basic level, you know, we may be talking different types of, of different technology stacks, but we're talking about human problems, human challenges, human behavior. And I was trying to find different ways in which to, to provide this scaffolding as a, as a way in to, to better understand how we can design our infrastructure, how we can design our digital workplace, how we can take more of a digital first approach within museums. And I came up first with the calm scaffolding. So I do love a good acronym. I suppose, you know, after nine years uh, with the Department of Defense, um, you, you, you speak in acronyms. And I, calm stands, stands for 
C is for collaborative. So it means how do we engage openly and transparently? How do we take an anticipatory approach? How do we plan more effectively using those agile methods and and take a data-informed approach building feedback loops? The L stands for letting go of command and control, taking a more leaderful approach, locating and enabling leaders at all levels while developing that sense of shared decision-making and accountability. And then M stands for being mindful, making the time and space to reflect on information and decisions. That calm approach can be, can be applied to any type of digital activity or challenge. Now, when I started to implement that scaffolding, what I found was, is that you needed, you needed additional emotional intelligence, um, emotional skills that, that grounded that approach. And I found that we had to, to take care to be calm. So care meaning, how do we communicate? Communication precedes collaboration. How do we make implicit the explicit? How do we express what we mean? A stands for adaptation. How might we find ways to learn from the past to inform our present and plan for our future? How are we able to to pivot as needed? How can we build more of a resilient a, a, a resilient skin, a resilient strategy. How do we think about strategy, governance, and human-centered approaches? It's not sexy, but it's vital work. And sometimes it's only it's only key individuals that have have a chance to design and inform those particular process and resources. And then finally, E stands for empathy, the ability to understand and and share the feelings of another. And that is needed to create those safe spaces. So we have to take care to be calm in order to, to build a digital ecosystem that everybody feels that they have a place to contribute, that they have a role, that they have they have a connection with other humans. And what I found is throughout my entire career, digital maturity cannot be achieved without that grounding in business maturity. I think we can all agree to that. But the one thing that's been missing, both in the commercial and the cultural sector, what I think is missing from the, you know, the way we we teach our, our kids, what we learn at the university level, what we learn as an entry-level associate in any organization across any sector, is that we don't necessarily have the emotional skills to navigate communication and collaboration, both in the physical workplace and the digital workplace. So how do we make it easy for people to understand and and not take for granted that they should already understand how to navigate, how they make sense of, of what's much more than just infrastructure, but the inherent, the implicit and the explicit practices and processes that make up whatever type of digital workplace you might have. Mm. Yeah, and I think the you know this this idea of empathy and and as you say we we've understood that if you want to be uh, digitally mature as an organization you need business intelligence you need business maturity if you like you need a clear strategy you need to understand what your processes are and so on but adding in this emotional intelligence um, I think is a really uh, innovative way of thinking about it because it strikes me, you know, sort of putting that into the setting of what I see organizations um, struggling with at the moment, which is 
there was a point in time in March where kind of most organizations were turned upside down, either because they were involved in essential work, key work, um, and they were then put into frontline roles, essentially keeping the society functioning. Obviously, this started in January uh, in Asia and then progressively moved um, uh, westwards. Um, but the other uh, effect was that other organisations, the, the physical workplace is closed and everybody was sent home. And we're here in July... X number of months later, and no, and, and basically nothing's gone back to normal and is unlikely to ever go back to normal because we're discovering that normal has now gone. Um, and so this, this strikes me that, and we've heard about issues, for instance, I was hearing about a law firm, large law firm, they've got their cohort of younger people um they're used to being f mentored uh, in a kind of physical sense um coached in a physical sense um they now are seeing the partners they report to over in their maybe in their homes in france in around the swimming pool or just in very you know nice places in in in, in uh, you know in the uk um and meanwhile they're possibly living at home or still in shared accommodation their dream job has become this kind of endless round of uh, team meeting or zoom meeting or whatever meeting again and again um, there's a real level of loss grief confusion um, people are becoming more productive yeah because they've got a lot more time than they used to because there's no commuting involved but you know without the emotional intelligence to add to the business intelligence there can't be any uh, digital uh, maturity as you say and i don't think you know have we really let in the the emotional impact of this virus on work i i, I don't think so not yet i mean this is this is a time where Everything is so uncertain, right? And and our personal and professional worlds are colliding and there is no break. And there is this there's this need to blend, not balance. And and to blend not balance means that we have to have very set boundaries. And it's very difficult as a practitioner of <laughs> in any sector to put up those boundaries if you feel that you are constantly needing to be online or to show that you're busy so that your job is not put in jeopardy at this point in time what we need to realize as leaders as managers as as guides in, in any of these digital workplace environments is that people are feeling pressure to be active and not active in that the sense that they feel like they can find that safe space that that corner where they can be more productive but there's this emotional pressure that they have to deliver because the world is so fragile right now their careers their their lives are fragile and so we have to take that into consideration when we're asking people to not just do their day jobs but to do their day jobs in what might might be or might seem a completely foreign environment 
And that means we've got to cut each other some slack. And if we use that care and calm as scaffolding, then then hopefully we'll be able to, to communicate and connect with one another at a human to human level and then figure out how we can bring our best selves to work. And that each person has a has a different threshold and and as leaders we're we're struggling with the same emotions that same emotional toll so what can we do to start to create these safe spaces that we we may have cultivated in the digital workplace prior to covid if that existed but it, it's now no longer just that hard line between the organization your professional life and your personal we have to be able to accept that there is no hard line, that there is the, you know, a lot of gray area, a lot of liminal space, that, that space in between that we have to navigate. And the only way we're going to do that is together. So how, I mean, just taking this, you know, example of the law firm, how could your model um, help them? Because, and it's not a criticism of them, they're struggling. Um, you know, it's not the most... Uh, digitally adventurous sector in the first place um and uh, you know that it's so how can the model help well the model asks and 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 i do list you know there are several questions that i i give organizations or teams that are trying to understand the scaffolding but i ask questions about how they're communicating collaborating before before COVID and, and right now, it's getting to, do we understand what each other does? It's, we, we think we do because we pass that person in the hall or we know exactly what their, what their title is. This is a time where we need to reintroduce ourselves to one another and, and then start to narrate our work. And whether it's, you know, and you don't have to have the, the, you know, all the bells and whistles of a digital workplace to make that happen. It's simply, you know, asking and informing your your fellow colleagues, you know, what are you achieving this week? You know, what did you do last week? What are the obstacles that you're facing? Narrate to us what you're doing and why you're doing it. That way we have a sense of place. We have a sense of where each other is located. Because when we're behind a screen from one Zoom meeting to a next, we feel unmoored, unanchored, and a lot of mental fatigue trying to place that person, to place that challenge, to place that that activity somewhere. And unless we're having those really explicit conversations, then then it's difficult for us to make that mental leap while we're trying to, you know, dare I say, perform um, on a Zoom call. So it's it's first understanding what we're communicating to figure out who we need to collaborate with. It's it's knowing as leaders and managers that everyone is stepping up right now, that there are decisions that have to be made that we can't necessarily have complete oversight of. So can we, do we have the trust in our process? Do we have the trust in the individuals and the roles to be able to let go of that command and control? Can we, can we, can we develop that, you know, that shared sense of decision-making? Well, you can, if you have that open, that open workplace, that open communication and, 
And and part of working out loud is to demonstrate to others exactly what you're facing, what you are doing. It helps build that empathetic approach because without that, we're making assumptions. We're telling ourselves a story about all of the people we work with. And that is a very dangerous place to be because that is what starts um, or promotes or may influence a toxic work culture. And when we talk about how culture takes effect or impact um, in the digital workplace, we have to be super, super um, in tune with with all of the different levers that are implicitly or explicitly excluding our colleagues. So in a normal digital workplace environment, or let's say prior to COVID, um, we saw that there were a vocal number of uh, a vocal minority um, who dominated the majority of workplace conversation in in this environment where we are now all digital um, or remote working. We can't let that type of 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 balance continue. So where do we start to 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 maybe take a step back and take more of an active listening approach and letting others narrate their work, others ask questions. And that's going to take more than just the leaders, more than just the managers, but we're all going to have to be guides and and brave that wilderness together. And so we may pass that baton um, from one activity or from one moment, one day to another. But this, this model, this framework is just to take stock, to take audit of how we're communicating and collaborating today and finding ways in which we can surface all of that activity and address it out in the open. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's um, so much about kind of uh, empathy, listening. Um, and what, what strikes me is that normally organizations face with this sort of crisis would would have some version of some kind of all hands meeting there'd be like okay we need to get all the top 50 100 500 managers together we need to bring them all to place x um over three days like we used you know it would be we need we need to kind of get together but of course the get together option is either impossible or only partially possible and and throws up a whole bunch of other issues so mm-hmm. it, it almost like the that where organizations are trying to work through these challenges in real time without i mean the analogy that kind of comes to me is like where you're swimming and you're you, you know there's a kind of a set of rocks that you know if you kind of run out of speed you could just go over and and, and hold on the side but this time you just got to keep swimming and just you hope you hope you've got the kind of strength, the stamina, uh, the kind of backbone to kind of the kind of make it. And um, I certainly know for myself that that uh, probably the word my I think if I was going to have my what's my corporate word of the year, it would be empathy or listening Um and and I think that's a you know there's been this humanizing of work. I know, I know so many organisations that started off, particularly when the virus was in the was in the far east, with a a sort of 
Western developed society kind of mentality of, well, we know things are kind of going a bit kind of pear shaped, but people are going to get on with their day job. And then they started to realize the stress that people were going through and actually started to say, just tell me how things are going. And people obviously then started opening up about the the the, the, the strains and the difficulties. Um, and I um, decided that within DWG, there's about 120 people now, that I would have a, a, a one-to-one call with everybody in the company, only going to do two a week, so probably take me the rest of the year or uh, or maybe maybe a bit longer might have to actually accelerate that thing about it but it's really just to kind of say look it's you know here's what's going on um here's but tell me what's what's kind of on your mind and just just hear where each person's up to and and i wouldn't have done that before and i think that in in it i think it's in a time of difficulty where you want to develop digital maturity and you you you've got the business intelligence the emotional intelligence as you say isn't being the leader who's got all the answers it's actually uh, developing a more empathetic um and human organization in real time without those kind of rocks to cling on to sounds quite scary that doesn't it well it, it, it. Yes, you know, if if we're if we're swimming individually, but we're not swimming individually, right? Because if if we have trust, I can take a break and maybe you're helping support me and 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 helping me tread water while I'm struggling with something and then I'll do the same for you. We we've never We've never really, you know, we've gone on away days, we've gone on retreats to, you know, type, you know, to do that type of bonding. But let's be real, when we come back to the physical office, does that trust resonate? Um, Maybe in some cases, or maybe, you know, a few key individuals, you know, make that that bond or that connection. But what does that connection look like across that entire group or that entire body? How can we start to embed rituals that allow us to open up a bit more to be more vulnerable with each other. So one of the things that I do with my teams is the elephant dead fish and vomit ritual, which sounds a little off and and usually especially when I'm going into to UK organizations that are like, "Oh, what is this fluffy American doing?" Um but it, it these are trigger words. These are, are words that either we can use to self-identify what is about to come out of our mouths or where we can uh, use to, to help better understand or signal the behavior of others. So elephant meaning, you know, how many times have we been in one meeting to the next where we keep circling around that issue, that elephant in the room? How do we signal, you know, what that is? Dead fish, meaning we, you know, how often do we keep going back to, well, 15 years ago, this happened, so therefore we can't do this. Um, How do we recognize that that dead fish is haunting us? You know, what can we do to call out and signal these types of conversations that are usually, you know, and emotions that are buried and vomit? Right now, this one's really important because, you know, it's difficult for us to transition from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting. And especially when we have our, our little critters or, or, or kids that are, are vying for our attention, um, 
it's difficult for us to get in that professional mode. So sometimes we unleash um, or, or, you know, vomit um, our emotions and we don't have any safe way or safe space to redirect that conversation or to take a step back and, and, and to go offline. And so we as leaders, we as managers, we as colleagues need to recognize these unspoken uh, issues that are are hindering our communication and collaboration. A simple check-in about how are you feeling today? What what is happening right now? Do you need a couple of minutes? It's just being it's just being clear with our words so that we can practice being better listeners. And that's just the key. Whether it's Zoom meetings, <laughs> um, team meetings, or 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 just working in an asynchronous fashion, we've got to cut ourselves some slack. Mm. Yeah, and I think what you said about, you know, we're not swimming alone really um, is a perfect and uh, beautiful way of putting it. You know, in, in times of challenge, you know, we, we need each other. We need our communities, as we've discovered. And when you think about an organization, it, it, it is uh, a community um, and can function like a community and and they come in different levels of of health uh different levels of of richness diversity etc um and i mean i certainly noticed you know that that what we've seen with a lot of organizations and i think in a way that surprised them even themselves is that they've responded to the crisis by doing things collaboratively with maybe competitors, other organizations, cross-fertilizations, who cares who owns the IP? Let's just make sure we share. Let's let's and and so that kind of spirit of of working through things um together, I think, has really um surprised organizations. And I think they've also been surprised at their own social conscience, because then, you know, when we were not even adjusted to the virus, you then have Black Lives Matter and organizations pretty much didn't hesitate and immediately started saying, this is where we are. This is what we're where we're not. This is what we need to be doing. You know, I was on calls where people were were saying, oh, we, you know, so and so not here because they're on a protest march. And and it became part of the it became part of what was going on. Now, it's not that long ago that major organizations listed on the stock market would never have had political, social kind of uh, agendas like that. So there's a sort of revolution going on in the way that organizations think about themselves. Um, but one of the things that strikes me is that you're you're almost kind of pointing to a role that maybe doesn't even yet exist, which I wrote down as digital therapists, um, the, the <laughs> digital counselors. The, 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 let's face it, within the organization, there's lots of emotion. There's there's issues around kind of well-being. But, you know, we, we need people who are responsible and you get it in the agile world a little bit. You know, people who are not leading the, the, the squad, but are actually responsible for the, if you like, the the, the, the well-being. Um, it feels to me like that kind of role is we, we need people inside organizations in those kind of roles. Does that make sense? It does. And I've always considered that as one of the hats of a community manager. 
And, and I think now what we're seeing is we need that that community manager even more and that there are different levels. There are different types of community managers, but that community manager that is going deeper, it's that, that is establishing that human connection that can read between the lines of the text. Those are the people we need to multiply and, and, and make sure are embedded across the organization. And how do we do that? Not just at an organizational level, but a team by team level. So that we have we have those anchors, we have those buoys are, that are are spread across the organization, so that nobody is sinking, nobody is drowning. And it, it feels to me like some some new kind of. I mean, you used the word rituals. Let's call them kind of processes or or, or, or ways of doing things. I mean, in a way, um, saying not just how are you, but you know, uh, really kind of how are you getting on, how the family. You know, and I've noticed mm-hmm. people saying, you know, it's it can sound like stay safe. How's your family doing? And so on. And, um, you know, I was on a call with somebody at the UN High Commissioner for Refugees this morning. And my first conversation wasn't as a sort of manufactured thing was, uh, you know, how are you doing? How's your family getting on? And so I'm now hearing about the two daughters back from university and how they're getting, you know, etc. And. Um, wouldn't have had that conversation, but it feels to me like we need some new kind of organizational rituals that would allow people to to kind of share more about themselves in a way. And that means that we have to rethink what professionalism means, right? Because so often we've got we've we've had that wall that split, <laughs> and a lot of times physical wall, right? That split our our work lives from our personal lives, and we have to dress a certain way to conform a certain way. I mean, Paul, you've met me. My hair is a different color every time you meet me. Um, I'm covered in tattoos. I I used to have to you know cover those up and report to work you know, in a suit every single day for the majority of my career. And, and yet now, you know, I wear t-shirt, jeans, all of my tattoos showing and the craziest colors in my hair. Does that impact the way I do my job? Absolutely not. And, you know, does the does the fact that I work remotely, um, you know, signal or or signify that I, you know, I can't work with other teams that are not within the same country, within the same time zone? Absolutely not. We have to break down what we thought was, quote unquote, professional, because to connect with one human to another um, and without performing, but actual connection so that we can work better quicker, faster, more efficient as a team. We've got to break down those standards of professionalism. Yeah, I mean, and, and the word professional, when I think about it, is, uh, first of all, is a word that I think only started getting developed at the beginning of the management sort of trend at the beginning of the last century. And and obviously, its definition keeps evolving. And and to me, professional means you know we're going to we're going to start on time we're going to end on time that would that to me in certainly inside dwg um, and that doesn't mean people can't change things or or explain that they're going to be late and things like that but you know generally i like meetings to start and end on time and i don't think i i so that to me is about professionalism where people are what they've been doing what they're wearing what they you know etc etc i i couldn't care less you are um, not the norm. <laughs> uh, well, but but what you're saying is that actually um, 
these things are becoming more normalised. Yes, yes. The, the C-suites have got their kids at home and and everybody else. And, and so consequently, that becomes out. Is there any organisation, I'm just kind of thinking, or that you think has been, if you like, handling this emotional intelligence, business intelligence equals digital maturity, you know, that you think handles this kind of well? I, I honestly don't know. I think we do a lot of official HR and communication and collaboration training, but the blending of all skills together and how they work in tandem, um, other than your, you know, annual HR, you know, type of training, I, I don't, I haven't seen that yet. One of the things that I'm working on right now is a periodic table of skills um, to mimic the actual periodic table where each element, um, you know, has, has, you know, a different weight and it interacts with other elements in a varied way. And I'm trying to, to think through what are those business maturity, those business skills, those digital skills, how do they work together and how do they work or perform at even greater levels when you have certain emotional skills combined. And so I'm trying to, to think through those combinations and then with through that research, then trying to look outward and see or find organizations that are attempting to, to build that resilience, to build those muscles, uh, to, to combine all of those strengths, to, to shore up any of the weaknesses that might be, you know, embedded in their, their current DNA. So right now, that's, that's an open question. Yeah, and I think in a way, you know, if I think about it, I, I hear about I don't think I've spoken to one organization that wasn't trying to live by these often just kind of written down mission and vision statements and, you know, rules of etiquette that hasn't found that they've been humanized through things this year. That doesn't mean that there aren't organizations that I haven't spoken to who haven't done that. But I think there's a there's a kind of understanding that that you've got to keep adapting you've got to keep listening mm-hmm. um i actually think that um we're going to have to let in things about grief loss um um you know shame um mm-hmm. you know the the you know the um um was it rene Brene Brown. Rene Brown. Yes. Kind of. She's my hero. <laughs> yeah, right. So so the, the whole idea of 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 getting the you know, we say we want the whole person to be part of the organization. I mean, it always strikes me as crazy. You know, you're paying somebody a certain amount of money and you want a nice little sli- uh, slice of the human being. Well, that doesn't really work in the world that we're now in for quite a long time, I think. And and. Uh, and consequently, letting in these things about, you know, I mean, I miss my colleagues and I'm happy to say that, you know, I don't want to live in. I said to I said to the person I was speaking to, the UNHCR, I don't want to live in a world where I never, ever get to meet you again phys- physically, Mike. And he went, yeah, me too. I, th- I, th- I think he wasn't just being polite. Um, but, you know, it's so so I think try, talking about these things that have been uh, maybe taboos, a bit like, you know, the elephant in the room. Um, 
and actually scaling the the, the emotional maturity of the organization uh, because i think that becomes then a resource for the organization and i have heard these things coming from quite a, a, a wide range of um well-known organizations um saying that they've been really proud of their organizations and the way that they've stepped up during 2020 so that's kind of quite encouraging really isn't it it is. It is. And when you know that you're working around other humans, <laughs> um, that that feels incredibly comforting. But we need to realize that that there's so much more work to do. And while there may be pockets of that, um, especially in the larger corporations or the corporations that are now moving to that digital first model, this this is these are new muscles that need to be developed. And and um, and I think that. It strikes me there's a you know we've always dismissed these things as sort of soft skills, haven't we? But it it, it turns out these, which I've always are kind of quite a degrading term, but actually um, I think those in in this more you know when the digital workplace becomes the essential workplace, um, and you're and you're developing more digital resilience, digital maturity in the organisation. If you don't also develop the capacity to be a more uh, emotional, more human, and more empathetic organisation, um, you're going to be a, 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 a kind of re- real weakness. So the question that I always like to uh, end with, L, is um, what's your perfect working day? Um, well, there's there's no such thing as a typical day for me, but I do have I do have my own rituals. So I begin and end my day with books. So I I read three or four books a week. So I have a mixion of a mix of fiction and nonfiction. So I usually start my day with nonfiction, end my day with fiction. I catch up on news. So the first the first couple of hours, and I usually start my day between four and five a.m. Um, do a bit of exercise and then do reading. And then I, I don't check my email right off the bat. I do prefer to do my deep work in the morning. So if it is research or writing, I do take the first several hours to, to really dig deep in, in those particular areas. And then the rest of my day is meetings, email, um, that constant communication. And where I cannot be tethered to my, my physical desk, it's it's a really good day. Wow. Wow. So, and, and you've got your kids at home with you. Yes, a 16-year-old and a 10-year-old, yes. So before people, because, you know, I'm thinking L is just really, really disciplined. Are you really disciplined? I'm incredibly disciplined. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Now, most people, when you say you're really disciplined, you go, oh, they go, no, not quite as disciplined as you think. Well, you are really disciplined. Okay. Um, and you get up at five o'clock, four or five o'clock in the morning. What time do you go to bed? Uh, usually around midnight. Oh, you're not one of those people who needs hardly any sleep, are you as well? I am. I, I, I wish I could have sleep. I'm an insomniac, so that's probably why I read so much. But I, I'm very good at compartmentalization. Um, but, you know, I, I do love a good Netflix binge. Right. OK. So what was the last thing you watched on Netflix? Ooh. Um, well, I can't call it a binge, but I, uh, I have been Snowpiercer. Uh, I've been catching every single week, and I will not miss that. It has been absolutely amazing. Okay, 
Okay, well, so so just to share it, the um, I don't know why I'm asking you about your watch on Netflix, <laughs> but um, we watched um, the morning show, which was on Apple ah, TV. Yeah. It was a good one. Yeah, have you seen it? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, that was really, really well made. Um, actually, could spend most of the lockdown not watching any TV at all, and eventually now, um, well, we, we seem to be emerging out of it. Seems to have started watching more, uh, watching more of it. But um, that's 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 impressive. I mean, and I think that uh, I love the idea of starting your day in that way and, and ending the day in that way. And Elle's um, been wonderful and again as always surprising and delightfully surprising thanks paul digital workplace impact is brought to you by the digital workplace group dwg is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership benchmarking and boutique consulting services for more information visit digitalworkplacegroup.com